we stand with us? Let's sing together in the song that says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. Let's do that this morning. We waited for this day, gathered in your name, calling out to you.
Scripture tells us that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in his son, Jesus. We have the fullness of God's glory in the son. Amen? That's who we worship this morning. I love the fact that we are joining together with other churches, with all creation, with all of history, everyone who's ever magnified the Lord together. It's an unending song of praise to him. Amen? Let's continue that this morning.
joy to worship our Savior this morning. Let's give him highest praise. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dave, and uh, we are grateful that you're with us. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms and grandmas this morning. And uh, throughout the service, we have a lot of different things going on, but there's a common thread through all of it, and it has to do with mission. It has to do with uh, Jesus' call on our lives to go and make disciples, and uh, make disciples who make disciples. Jesus' call on our lives to be witnesses for Him in every context, whether it's our neighborhoods or to the nations, whether it's local or whether it's global. With that in mind, one of the greatest ways that we reach into our community is through, um, is through our summer VBS. 
And so here's a video for that, and then Becky will come up afterwards to share more. Good morning. Yes, our Vacation Bible School is scheduled for July, and hopefully you have that date on your calendar, so that feels like a little ways off. Um, but I want to invite some of you this morning who are planners and organizers, um, those of you who love to create things out of large sheets of styrofoam and hula hoops, uh, those of you who love to look for kids' crafts and make a supply list of all that's needed, um, these are the things that need to happen now, and so um, I know that there are some of you who have giftings that would lend itself to those things, um, or some of you who might want to try out serving in a new way. I can tell you from a personal experience that um, you don't have to have had a previous experience doing some of these things to be able to join in and say, I'll give this a shot and join the team and try it. And um, you might find out that it's very fun and you like it and you're well suited for it. So um, these are the things. Um, there are some other opportunities. We will need a, a preschool Bible teacher, pre preschool games leader, and elementary games leader. And both of those can kind of get started now with some planning. Um, all of the kind of preliminary planning is so that we can get a list of supplies together soon that we can start sharing with all um, to make donations and things. So that's why we get started early. Um, but this VBS for Crosspoint is a special outreach that we do. It is not a club. It is not a one-man performance. It's a family event that we all join in many times as individual families that come. Um, but it's us together as a family that it takes to put on this event. So please consider it. If any of these pique your interest, waste no time in finding me or emailing me because now is the time. So I would love to talk with you and see what we can do together. Thanks. Uh, this past winter, Darren and Jane uh, Freidinger came back from the mission field uh, to enter into a season of sabbatical and they are cross pointers who we support uh, and um, have prayed for and uh, supported financially and joined with as far as work alongside the mission field as they've served in Isaiah 55 and uh, Reynosa, Mexico. And I want them to come up and share a little update on their family and, uh, and what God has for them next and how we can pray for them. I take up a lot of room, sorry. Okay, good morning, Crosspoint. 
How's everyone doing today? Awesome. Well, um, uh, we are the Fridingers. Uh, in case anyone that uh, is new to Crosspoint in the last five years or so doesn't know who we are, been wondering who the weird new people are, the tall guy with the weird t-shirts and the smoking hot, dark-haired lady. And <laughs> two, uh, two girls, two daughters look just like him. That's us, yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> um, well, as some of you know, we were sent out by Crosspoint back in 2012 to go serve on the mission field in uh, Reynosa, Mexico with Isaiah 55 Ministries. Um, a number of you have been down t as part of uh, work teams. I think throughout the years, uh, you've come down three times to support us, and we've treasured each, each time that um, you've been able to come down and see what, what God's been doing in our lives down there. Um, we are so thankful for the support you've shown us over the years. Um, we are... It, it means more than we could ever say to, to know that we have a loving fam church family back here that supports us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, I made a list of stuff I want to say, so I'm going to try not to read it word for word, but I don't want to forget anything either, so bear with me a little bit. Um, let's see where we're at. Um, as for some of you that may not know, Isaiah 55 is a ministry that uh, is on the border in Reynosa, Mexico. Um, the primary mission when we went down was to administrate a school for the deaf uh, in Reynosa, in Mexico. The, uh, the deaf are kind of a marginalized group that uh, are often forgotten. Um, so the heart was on the ministry years ago to come to Reynosa and, and start that ministry. Uh, we went down to be a part of that. The school itself became more or less self uh, sufficient as far as the day-to-day -day operations of the school um, with us us being the ministry uh, providing the funds and the financial support for them to operate but on a day-to-day -day operation standpoint didn't really need us so that gave us opportunity to uh, branch out into the uh, community outreach uh, the Lord blessed us with a number of blessings throughout the time but one of which was uh, the mission office facilities in a neighborhood called Aquiles Serdan, which is right next to the red light district, affectionately, or not so affectionately, known as Boys Town, um, so that we could then use that opportunity to, of proximity just to minister to the families, boys, girls that are affected by drugs and alcohol and prostitution and just very downtrodden, very poor society, part of society. So. Um, that being said, um, as far as our involvement, my, my involvement, Jane's involvement, directly with the ministry down there, I got the opportunity to be part of the field preparation for the community outreach in, by teaching PE, quote unquote, to the school in the, in the neighborhood. Uh, I say quote-unquote PE because it's basically glorified babysitting, trying to wear the kids out so that they don't in turn wear the teachers out in class. Um, but it also gave me the opportunity to speak into the kids' lives and just be a, a positive male influence on, on them. And they can see that, hey, there are a bunch of crazy white people that do care about them and want, want God's best for them, want to show them the gospel and just live in community with them. So... Um, through a number of other opportunities, Crosspoint being part of the outreach as well, we got to do the hot dog, uh, wiener roast, whatever you want to call it, cookout on the last team that you guys came to be a part of, which was fantastic. 
Um, but that, among other things, gave us the opportunity then to start the, officially start the um, community outreach ministry out of the house that we affectionately call Larry's house. So um, that's been going uh, like gangbusters. Um, we, the attendance has kind of varied a little bit, but it's been steadily increasing and we're seeing boys and girls, mainly boys, lives really affected. And I say mainly boys because those are generally the, the kids that we get. Um, we get a few girls, but generally the parents are a little more protecting of their daughters for good reason. Um, knowing all the prostitution and drugs and everything that goes on, it's they definitely want to keep a slightly tighter rein on the girls than they do their boys, which gives us a fantastic opportunity to, to speak into the lives of the boys. And it's showing fruit. It's very trying. Um, the boys are not exactly what you call well-behaved, as you can imagine. Um, and there's lots of discipline that goes on but it's, it's rewarding beyond anything we could say. Um, and I myself have left part of my heart down there <laughs> um, as part of that, so it's somewhat bittersweet being away from it, but regardless. Um, we made the decision uh, a couple, couple months ago, I don't know, it's been probably six months ago, I guess, to officially take our furlough or sabbatical break from the mission work uh, to come back. Our board mandates that every four to five years, each missionary family unit takes a uh, sabbatical slash furlough break of a minimum of six months away from mission work to for rest, rejuvenation, reconnect with each other, with God, with life in general, um, so you're not completely burnt out. Um, so we made that decision to come back up here for uh, to Central Illinois, woo, uh, to be to get back into the uh, swing of things up here for a brief period. Um, after a short time of being on the f being on our sabbatical break up here, it became evident that number one, we definitely needed the break. We were slap wore out, as my southern friends used to uh, like to say, um, and also that we. Uh, sorry about that. That uh, we also needed to stay here for a while. Um, Part of the reason for that, the schooling options that we have for our uh, daughters down there are not real good. Um, we went through some really tough struggles as a family. Uh, just uh, raising her, raising a teen and a preteen, it was it was tough. So. Uh, that being said, we decided to stay up here in uh, central Illinois. We're going to be relocating to Tremont. Sorry, Hornet family. <laughs> but uh, we're, gonna, we're in Tremont. Um, we're going to stay up here for the next six-ish years at least to get our girls through school um, and kind of rebuild our family a little bit from the, from the bumps and bruises that we took along the way. Um, we just got back. Um, about three weeks ago or so from our sabbatical retreat in Colorado. And it was, as we like to say, brutiful. It was extremely needed, extremely difficult, um, but a wonderful time of reconnecting with each other and seeing where we made some mistakes and put us on a path to becoming healthy as a family again and getting us reestablished in our individual as well as our family connections with God. So um, um, all I have to say, um, the Fridingers are <laughs> 
open for business, so to speak. We're, we're back in uh, central Illinois. We, uh, before we left, we were pretty integrated uh, part of uh, Crosspoint. We love being here. We love being part of the family, and we're hoping to be that again. Um, so we're looking for, we're going to be looking for opportunities. I'll be figuring out over the next couple months what I'm going to be doing vocationally, which is a little scary, but a little encouraging and fun knowing that God's got something in mind that I don't know what that is yet. So, um, so all that to say, if you guys don't recognize our faces, please feel free to come up and introduce yourself because just like we've changed over the last few years, so have you, you guys have grown and we see a lot of new faces. So. Uh, that's pretty much all we got. Do you have anything you want to add? No, this is dangerous. <laughs> no, I'm just saying we've we learned so much in the mission field, but one thing that hasn't changed um, is our heart for missions, and that's our hope in coming back here is that um, that we will help revive the heart for missions um, even more so in the in the heart of Cross Point and among you. Um, I have the heart of a revolutionary. I have a heart for the oppressed. I have a heart for the um, for the voiceless, and I'm hoping to find where we can serve that in Central Illinois. Um, elders and staff and go team, if you're in here, if you want to come up, I want to pray for these guys. Father God, we are um, we're so grateful for faithful servants. We're so grateful for Darren and Jane and their girls. God, the way that you've called them not only to you, but to one another. I thank you for the way that they live in obedience to your call on their lives, whether it is in Mexico or here. I'm grateful for the way that they have been on mission and continue to be on mission. I pray abundant blessing on their lives as they seek you, as they worship you. I pray for wisdom as parents. I pray where they are planting and watering, God, that you will cause the growth. I pray for uh, life change to occur not only in the lives that they're impacting, whether it's the girls or elsewhere, but in their own lives. I pray for unity in their marriage, just an overflowing love for uh, one another. I pray where healing needs to take place from uh, the, uh, the work of missions, I pray that that healing would take place and that that would be a testimony to your grace and your goodness in their lives. We are grateful to call them brother and sister and family members. We love you, Lord. We are grateful for the call that you have on our lives to be on mission. Thank you for the testimony, both in the past and in the present, of how this family walks that out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I just encourage you to, uh, uh, to continue to pray for them and continue to um, have them over dinner, uh, buy them meals, and uh, hang out together. And because it's a, after you've been away from a church family and then you're stepping back into a church family and there's been that four or five year gap in there, 
it's not just uh, it's not easy to make that transition. And so I encourage you as a church family to to do your part in uh, in that. So in light of Mother's Day, I want to share with you some uh, Crosspoint family news. I want to announce uh, four households that are having children in the month of November. Um, I don't know what happened, you know, but. So uh, let's see. Uh, Brad and Kelsey Schrock, Dave and Mindy Stalter, uh, the Willies, Brian and Jenny, and uh, Luke and Sarah Wiegand are all expecting kiddos in the month of November. So uh, be praying for those households and also be preparing uh, your casserole factories uh, because there's about 24 plus meals that are going to need to be provided in the month of November. So uh, this is a way that we are dedicated to one another and love one another. So prepare your recipes now. All right. Uh, I also want to draw your attention to a couple things before we get into the message. On the back of the uh, program is a listing of some summer gatherings that we are doing. Our vision statement is to live 3D, devoted, dedicated, and driven. And so these are gatherings that we pray are an encouragement and help to you as you live out uh, that, that call to love God, love people, and make disciples. And so there's uh, listings on there. I encourage you to sign up online or back in the back. So opportunities for us to be together. And then last Sunday, we highlighted the work of Compassion International. Both this Sunday and the next Sunday, those packets uh, are still available back at Guest Connections. So children uh, in need of sponsorship are back there. So I encourage you to be uh, praying and considering and then obeying as the Lord calls you to do that. If you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to the book of John, chapter 4. So we see this thread of mission throughout this morning. We see it in, uh, in uh, Darren and Jane, both being on mission and continue, continuing to be on mission, just in a different context, different community. We see it in VBS and a desire to be on mission in our neighborhoods. We'll see it as we pray for uh, moms and women at the end of the service. And uh, we see it also at the end as we pray for Anna Williamson, who's going to be on a short-term missions uh, project and trip in Africa in the next couple, couple weeks. We also see it in John 4. We see Jesus being on mission. The biblical reality is that we all need Jesus. And so the outwardly rebellious, the atheist, the agnostic, the broken, the shamed, the arrogant, the wealthy, the poor, the one who grew up in church and who still doesn't know the Lord because they're just all about religion, or the one who has no, uh, no religious background and who would never darken the door of a church because they feel like they have too much sin in their life. At the end of the day, we all need Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Nicodemus. Today, we look at Jesus reaching out to and impacting a Samaritan woman. And in these two uh, people, we see a very stark contrast between them in their backgrounds, and yet we see Jesus on the exact same mission. One author wrote this, The world of sinners loved by God includes not just respectable insiders uh, seeking truth like, like Nicodemus, but broken outsiders running from the truth like the Samaritan woman. None of us are beyond the need of God's grace, and none of us are beyond the reach of God's grace. Jesus has come to seek and save both the found, those who presume they already have a relationship with God, and the lost, those who realize they don't. And today in chapter 4, we see Jesus interact with someone who didn't grow up in church, who, did, uh, who had a hard life, who chased after different things to try to satisfy the longing in her heart. Just as elsewhere in Scripture, we get this opportunity to learn about who Jesus is here. 
how he interacts with someone who is far from him, how he interacts with someone who has, that shares no background that he had. And the story begins in verse 1 of chapter 4. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making, making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. So Jesus is traveling from point A to B, from Judea to Galilee. And verse 4 says that, tells us that he had to travel through Samaria. The, re the reality is that he didn't have to technically travel there. He could have gone another way. The typical Jew would have gone another way. They would have gone around Samaria. They wanted to avoid Samaria at all costs. When the exile took place in the Old Testament, not every Israelite was taken captive. Not every Israelite left the land. And so the Assyrians would have left people of lower class. And then over time, that group began to marry those who were not Israelites, and what resulted were the Samaritans. So they were considered half-breeds. They were considered less than. To say that racism was occurring between Jew and uh, Samaritan was an understatement. And so the typical Jew took the bypass around this area because this area was considered unclean. The Samaritan people were considered unclean. So to say that Jesus had to go through Samaria is true, but not because of geography or not because of cultural acceptance. It's because he had a divine appointment, so to speak, with a person who was in need of him, a person who needed to meet him and know who he was. Other translations, your translation might say, he needed to go. I love that translation. Not just that he had to, but he needed to go through Samaria because this was God's plan. Not only in reaching this one woman, but in those who will be, uh, those who will believe as a result of this one woman, as well as pointing forward to Acts 1.8, which we'll read at the end. The reality is that in our lives, Jesus will lead us to places and relationships that we don't expect. Relationships that we may not have anticipated, but God had, has placed before us. People that we may not have much in common with, but people who God loves and has called us to be his ambassador to. Sometimes as Christians, we kind of stick our heads in the sand. And in doing so, we miss the people that are right in front of us. Or we say, well, well someone else will reach them. But I just want to go around that. I want to take the bypass. I don't want to go through them. I don't want to go through that relationship. Uh, someone else will do that. And as Christians, we tend to sometimes have that mentality. But in this story, we see Jesus had the exact opposite mentality. He has a very reckless disregard for social etiquette. He has a willingness to go beyond a comfort zone to encounter those who had been marginalized and disregarded. And we see this type of God-appointed intersection here. And Jesus has stopped at a well to get, drink, to get a drink. And then verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, 
you would ask him and he would give you living water. So remember it's noon. The women usually show up early in the morning to get the water. And so she's showing up at noon, not because she's trying to avoid the long lines, not because she is trying to avoid the crowds, the rush at the well. She's coming, she's arriving at the well at noon because she wants to avoid people. She wants to avoid the gossip, the murmuring, the talk of the town, which Jesus will call out later in her life that in her life that there's brokenness and there's failed relationships, and so she wants to avoid that. A Samaritan woman in that day, this is the lowest of the low in this society. She had no rights, no status. She is the person who gets completely ignored by the religious of that day. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us that that we are to no longer see people through a worldly point of view. If Jesus were to see this woman through a worldly point of view, he would simply dismiss her as another sinner, as another person who had disregarded the things of God, and so uh, and, and he would hold his distance, if you will. But instead, what we see here is Jesus initiated this conversation. He's not reluctant here. He didn't just stumble into this. He intentionally went into this conversation. This, and this interaction is not going to make Jesus sick. He's not going to get sick by interacting with her. It's not going to diminish his glory. It's actually his glory is going to be revealed in how he interacts with her and how he loves her. Jesus is revealing himself to this woman because the first step in anyone's faith journey is, is to come face to face with who Jesus is. Verse 11 Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I I will give him will become a well of water springing up for him, springing up in him for eternal life. So Jesus is drawing this picture of a well that that satisfies for a moment and one that satisfies eternally for all of time. This well of Jacob won't last forever. It will satisfy thirst for a moment and then you'll want more. And Jesus is talking about living water that satisfies forever. In a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, the picture is of living water, a constant flow of water that satisfies the thirst that we have. In John 15, we're given this picture of vine and branches. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And so as a branch, we draw nutrients and life and water from the vine, from the eternal vine, from Jesus Christ. Water that satisfies for the moment that will eventually run dry and water that satisfies us eternally and quenches every single thirst. This is the contrast that Jesus is drawing. In verse 15, Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. I love that line. Sounds like you know more about me than I thought we just met. So 
She says, give me this water so I won't get thirsty again. But then Jesus calls out how she's been trying to satisfy this thirst in her life, and it's been through men and sex and relationships. See, we all have thirsts in this life. We all have this natural bent because of sin to be drawing from earthly wells to try to find our satisfaction in them momentarily, but in the end, they just leave us thirsty again. It could be the well of uh, money and comfort. So you buy a possession, you buy something, and then that endorphin gets released, and you're like, this is awesome. And then six months later, six weeks later, you're saying, yeah, okay, I I need something more. And you keep going after this well to try to satisfy this thirst. Or it could be around sex and uh, relationships. It could be about approval. Like someone approves of you, you, you get that public praise, and then it kind of goes, goes quiet. And so then you've got to manufacture something else, and you've got to, so that you get that praise, you get that spotlight on you. It's just an earthly well that continues to run dry. And some of us have come to the realization, by God's grace, of these earthly wells that we have been prone to try to find our satisfaction in. Because of our thirst, we want, we long, we search, we reach. But in the end, what Jesus wants this woman to find is that only he is the one that satisfies that deep longing. The Samaritan woman's identity was misplaced. She was digging in the wrong well. This woman was trying to find her satisfaction in men. And she'd gone through multiple men trying to find that, trying to satisfy this deep longing that she had inside of her. And every man ended up just leaving her thirsty again. Jesus is helping her see the reality of where life is truly found. He's confronting the sin because the sin is destroying her. He's lifting her eyes to a greater truth, a greater life, a greater joy, that to receive and drink from the grace of God is what is eternally satisfying. See, the God who designed and created you and me is not a joy hater. His design is not that you'd walk over just kind of slumped, or the more slumped you are, the more spiritual you are. His joy is freedom in Christ. His desire is freedom in Christ. You go to Exodus, his desire is not slavery, but freedom. And we use that freedom not to serve ourselves, but to worship the Lord, love and serve Him, love and serve others. That's His desire. By God's design, He has created you with with desires. Now, what sin does is distorts those. And so we have a desire to work, accomplish, um, experience pleasure, those kind of things, but then sin distorts that. So work then becomes the idol. Sex becomes the idol then. I just need more of it. I just need to find another relationship for it. And sin twists that and lifts it up to this place where we worship creation rather than the creator. And so these desires, these desires are God-given, but they are to be uh, lived out in a God-honoring way for our good and for our joy and for His glory. Jesus is not afraid to talk about sin here. 
Because all the sin does is it reveals this misplaced identity that she has, that she's digging in the wrong well, in the well that will not flow with living water, that it might quench for a moment, but not for a lifetime. Through his eyes, Jesus sees the brokenness and sin that is at the root of all of it. He sees a heart that is, that needs, uh, that's pursuing idols rather than him, a heart that's trying to find its ultimate satisfaction in creation rather than the Creator. So who is in your life right now that when you see them through the eyes of Christ, not through a worldly point of view, that you see them in a new light so that the sin, the addiction, the, uh, this outward trappings that people put around themselves, especially in social media, you get all past that and you see a heart that needs saving, a heart that is digging in the wrong well, a heart that is, has misplaced its identity. This woman had to, had to decide what she loved more, where she was going to place her identity. Was it going to be in, in the sex and the relationships and the men, earthly things, or was it going to be in the living Son of God? One author said this, She is of mature age and has had, an, and has had a not altogether reputable past, and yet she possesses hidden beneath masses of unclean vanities, a conscience and a yearning for something better than she has. Jesus doesn't write her off because of the outward things. He initiates, he pursues, and he engages in relationship. Charles Spurgeon said, Christ has different doors for entering into different people's souls. Into some he enters by the understanding, into many by the affections. To some he comes by the way of fear, to another by that of hope, and to this woman he came by way of her conscience. Now, something funny happens here is she changes the subject. I see that you're a prophet. Uh, what do you want? Let, let's talk about worship perspectives. And she changes the subject here because she doesn't want to talk about her misplaced identity. She doesn't want to talk about it, these, these earthly wells that she's been trying to dig in. And yet Jesus, this master of conversation, does, okay, good, we'll talk about worship. And then brings it right back around to himself. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will wor worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The issue is not if we worship. The, the issue is who do we worship. And Jesus brings it back around to himself. He's patient with her in this moment. He's not going to suddenly engage in this side argument that's going to steer away from her heart. That's what it, he doesn't engage in that. He brings it right back to, let's talk about your heart. We Christians, we tend to get involved in side arguments that miss the point of the heart. And so he's bringing it right back around to that. Because at the heart of the matter is worship. And who or what we worship supremely in this life. And Jesus th says, those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? In other words, we worship Jesus we love Jesus with both our, our hearts and our heads, spirit and truth. 
Matt Chandler said this, God is seeking worshipers with inflamed hearts and informed minds. Those two feed off of one another. Our minds are informed through the Word of God, which reveals who Jesus is, that He is the truth that we are anchored to, and the more we understand who Jesus is, the more that inflames our hearts and desire for Him. These two complement one another. Just to say that we worship does not mean we have to define the object of our worship, the focus of our worship. The Samaritan woman, she was worshiping relationships. And Jesus is drawing her to a, a, a focus on himself. So those who worship Jesus worship him in truth. They, they remain tethered to or rooted in him. He remains the focus. And so our minds get informed about who Jesus is because the Spirit leads us into all truth. And then as the Spirit leads us into that truth, the Spirit also speaks to our hearts saying, we are sons and daughters of the King. That He is Father. We can cry, Father. Our spirits become inflamed. Our hearts become inflamed, if you will. Inflamed hearts and informed minds are not enemies of one another. And too much in Christian world, we treat these as enemies. They're not at odds. They complement one another. Jesus is saying in verse 24 that we need both. Eric does a great job of choosing worship songs that stir up our, our hearts and our heads. They inflame our hearts. They inform our minds. We need both. It's not either or. It's silly to think that we should be without uh, emotion in worship. He saved me. He's loved me. He's extended grace to me after I screwed up and screwed up again. He extends grace. It's silly to think that we should be without emotion. It's also equally silly to say that we should always be consumed by emotion. That, that true worship is validated by becoming emotional. There's two ditches that we can fall into on this road. On one extreme, you have dead orthodoxy. I'm just really worshiping the Lord right now. I'm Eeyore, but I'm just really, I'm just thinking so hard on the Lord. Mm. Okay? It's equally as silly on this other side where we say, well, it's just not valid. It's not valid until we have emotion. On one side, we worship knowledge. On one side, we worship worship. We worship experience. Again, Either way, the focus has gotten misplaced. He is truth. We worship Him. So, um, all that, it's, it's not just about singing though, right? We talk about this. So we worship Him in spirit and in truth. Uh, 24-7, Romans 12-1, that we are living sacrifices for Him. And so the Samaritan woman tries to change the subject on perspectives on worship and Jesus brings it right back to, okay, so who are you going to worship? Because those who worship the one true God do it in spirit and in truth. All along, Jesus has been dropping clues about who he really is, and he's been revealing himself to her. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? I love this picture. 
The disciples are smart enough here to not go, Jesus, why? Like they keep that to themselves, and I love that John records that. They think, oh, if I say something, I'm going to get a message. I'm going to get a sermon on this, (laughs) right? That's what my kids say sometimes, one specifically. I'm not going to say anything back. I know where this goes, right? But this is where, this is what the disciples, like, there's a reverence there as well as, well, your teacher, we must be missing something. You must not, you must maybe have said something and we missed it. Verse 28, then the, then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat and that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? So it's good that they remain silent sometimes. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. So this woman has gone to the well at noon because she wanted to avoid people. Now she goes straight back into town to tell all the people because something's changed. The shame is gone. Who removed that shame? Jesus Christ did. Her identity is new now. And so she doesn't walk in shame. She doesn't hide in the corners she goes straight back into town to tell all the people, come see a man. Come see a man who told me everything and yet was gracious to me and reminded me of the well I was digging in. Imagine the townspeople. This is the woman who is unfortunately the talk of the town, who has a reputation, who has some sins that are very public, brought her shame. And now she tells them all that I found a man. Come see a man. This man's different. He's a God man. She's going back changed. And so the woman has gone into town, told the people, the crowds are approaching Jesus. The water well that was quiet and deserted is now people are walking toward this well. Jesus has his disciples around him, continuing to teach. And he says to them, don't you say there are still four more months And then comes the harvest. Just imagine, they're looking at these crowds walking toward them. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reapers already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. So as people are approaching them, he's reminding them of the mission. This is the group that will go make disciples. This is the group that will go in such a way that we are gathered together together today for that same mission. The only reason we're here is because that group went. They obeyed generation after generation after generation. This is why we're here. This is why we continue to be here. This is why Darren and Jane didn't just like uh, kick back and say, well, I'm off mission now. I've had conversations with them, and and Jane and Darren, they both alluded to it. They're on mission as much now as they were then. Because it's not about the context. It's about a calling. It's about the Great Commission, obedience to that. Crosspoint, may we open our eyes and see the fields that are before us. 
fields that are ripe for harvest. Fields who are full of people trying to find their satisfaction in earthly wells that leave them thirsty and thirsty and thirsty. And we have living water to give them. Jesus wanted his disciples to see the fields of people. He wanted them to to lift their eyes, to not skip over Samaria, to not skip over people that they were potentially going to write off. And then verse 39, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. As one author said, the gospel comes to us in order that it might run through us. We want to be a people who are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel changes us, it saves us, the gospel is what calls us to love one another, and then the gospel is what we herald as in our drive to reach people. In this story, what, Jesus, uh, what did God use to uh, bring people to himself? One woman's humble testimony. But notice the Samaritan woman didn't place herself as the center of the story. Her past wasn't the hero of the story. Jesus was. Come see a man. Come see a man. Her focus was on him. To the moms and grandmothers, don't miss the kids and grandkids that are right before you. Don't go around them thinking about someone else or yes, you want to get there. But don't go around the ones that are right before you. Go through. The generations that follow you, they need to understand the impact of God's truth and the reach of God's grace. They need to have informed minds and inflamed hearts for the Lord. They need to be shown how earthly wells do not satisfy. And only the living water in Jesus Christ does. Be encouraged through John 4 that God can cause many to believe through the humble sharing of one woman's testimony. With that in mind, I want to pray for uh, the women here and then we will uh, transition back into worship and stuff. So worship team, you don't have to come up right now. Um, I got more to say after that because I'm a pastor. So um, I got, I'm wordy. Um, I want to pray. Father God, uh, thank you so much for the women in our lives, for the women here that are gathered together. I pray for the women here, no matter their age, whether it's students or grandmother or somewhere in between, I pray that their identity would be anchored in you and not in an earthly well that will leave them unsatisfied. I pray that they would find their satisfaction in you and you alone. I pray that you would be their living water for the moms and grandmothers, the the endurance that it takes to live out those roles. Lord, they need living water. 
pray that you would be their endurance for the women who hurt today because they are without their children, because they are without their moms, because of infertility. I pray that you would be their comfort and you would be present and near. I pray for those who are mothering prodigal children. I pray that you would be their hope and you would be their joy and you would be their trust. I thank you for the women who live out the Great Commission day in and day out, that they plant and water, they make disciples starting in their homes. I pray that lives would be eternally changed because of women's testimonies. And then I pray that for the children and the grandchildren that, that are changed by that testimony, that it wouldn't remain the second-hand faith, but just like the Samaritans here, they, that they would believe not just because of a woman's testimony, but because they met Jesus face-to-face. And they were changed by Jesus. God, I pray that harvest would take place. Not only would planting and watering and faithfulness in there take place, but the harvest would as well, and that it would be for your glory. I pray blessing, endurance, joy, hope, strength, wisdom upon the women here. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. John 4 is toward the beginning of uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, and then you get to the book of Acts, and Jesus is about ready to ascend to heaven. Uh, final, some final words to his disciples, some disciples that were there in John 4, as well as a charge to us who are uh, gathered together here. And Jesus says in Acts 1.8 then, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in that moment in Acts 1, you've got to be thinking that some of the disciples that were there in John 4 having this moment going, I remember that. I remember what he showed, how he showed us what it looked like to do ministry in Samaria to those who were far from the Lord. And as God's people, we are given the same charge to be witnesses in our local context, in Judea, in the, in the region, in Samaria, those who are not like us and to the ends of the earth. Our membership covenant calls us to show and tell contagiously, boldly, and lovingly. And you see that in this story. You see Jesus showing and telling lovingly and boldly. He didn't shy away, but he did it lovingly. And then you see this woman's testimony, and it was contagious in the town. Many people came to know the Lord. The worship team wants to come back up now. In light of the six prayers that we've been talking about, this year, I see uh, some of those on display here in John 4. You see, wake us, that prayer, specifically with the Samaritan woman and her misplaced identity, but also with the disciples. You see, change us. The woman here is clearly changed by the truth and grace of Jesus. Anchor us, that we worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
We remain anchored to that. And finally, send us. We clearly see that. So Crosspoint, may we open our eyes to the fields that are before us, that are ripe for harvest, the fields that are before you and the fields that are before me. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we worship, as we give our offering here in this song, I pray that you would be lifted up, God, that uh, we would be living sacrifices this week, that you would uh, wake us and that you would change us, that you would anchor us to you and that we would be people who understand that we are sent, sent into schools, homes, neighborhoods, nations. We love you. We thank you for encouragement from John 4. We thank you for encouragement from your life, Jesus. Thank you for showing us what it looks like to show and tell contagiously, lovingly, and boldly. We trust you. We worship you. May you be glorified in our singing, in our lives this week, and in our giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You stand up with us. Jesus lovingly removes every excuse that we have to keep us from coming to him, and he gives us every reason to worship him. Amen.
This is Anna Williamson. She's back from college. She's about to be sent out. Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Malawi, Africa. Is this when I talk? Yes, okay. you have a mic. Um, <laughs> I know it's difficult to get you to talk. Oh, yeah, this is real, real <laughs> tough. Um, I'm going to Malawi, Africa. It's in central eastern Africa, right next to Zambia, for those of you that are map people. Um, if you're not like me, that's fine. Um, so I am going with an organization called Circle of Hope International. We're partnering with a church there in Malawi called Grace Alliance Church. And um, it's kind of a long-term missions thing they've been doing for many, many years. So I'm really excited to be able to be a part of it. Um, the trip I'm going on specifically is the medical missions trip, which is really exciting because I'm a pre-medical student. So this is right up my alley. Um, and there they have an orphanage and a school. Um, primary and secondary for the kids in the surrounding villages. So we're going to be doing like the yearly physicals um, for a lot of the kids. So um, what that looks like for us, it's not just like making sure that they can do push-ups and that they have good knee reflexes. A lot of these kids have um, anemia. Um, a lot of them have AIDS. So it's going to be significantly different um, than what you would see here for just like your yearly checkup in the U.S. So, um, but I'm really excited and yeah. Eric's gonna pray for you. We pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for the opportunities that you give us in our lives to reach uh, people for the harvest. Lord, thank you for, um, for Anna and what you're gonna do uh, in and through her. Father, thank you for the call to go and make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, not just here, but all throughout the world. And thank you for the comfort that no matter where we go, God, you are there with us. So God, I pray for Anna. I pray for uh, the nervousness of, of uh, flying on the plane there. And uh, Lord, that she would remember that you're right there with her even in that. And that God, that there will be opportunities even on the plane 
uh, to, to speak and to live the good news of Jesus uh, to those people there uh, who, who may have a deeper fear, who may have um, a, a, a deeper heart uh, longing uh, that is ready to be exposed with the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ, and that Anna could be uh, your vessel, God, to, to bring them the living water. We pray for that time over there, God, that you would encourage her, that you would use her, that you would draw her into a deeper sense of your presence and into a deeper relationship with you, that you would supply all her needs. And uh, we thank you that you give us that promise to meet all our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So God, um, use this trip to continue to draw Anna uh, into uh, a deeper relationship with you and use her, God, uh, to go and, and reap seeds that have been sown and to sow more seeds. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Ladies, before you leave, make sure you get some uh, Lindor truffles. Happy Mother's Day. Chocolate at noon. You can't beat that. Uh, enjoy your day. See you next Sunday.